Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Influx podcast. We are nearing the end of the first season and we took a bit of a break but we are now uh, we're now back with uh, we'll be releasing three episodes hopefully fairly soon so this one is is a little bit different from previous episodes because usually we focus on one output and then uh, try and discuss that specific output but this one of course we're going to discuss a series and a range of outputs that our guest here today shweta mohandas who is certifiably one of the most brilliant people working on artificial intelligence in the world and her work definitely testifies to that on on generally on ai policy and what's really happening in this ai space because first of all if you've been following the news globally then you know that ai have have, have been in the news because ai or algorithms were responsible for denying student admissions into u- universities in the uk and there was a huge outcry about that and then finally the use of algorithms had basically had to be uh, scrapped by the uk department of education and the the tension there was that uh, students particularly from who are not from the posh public schools were actually when algorithms were used to determine their grade 40% of the grades fell from what they were originally predicted by their teachers that's a dire example of how algorithms while might be used with a good intention in mind ultimately might end up harming the vulnerable and we are of course having at a earlier stage in these debates in india but these very likely that similar tensions will play out and therefore it's important to not only appreciate uh, the body of work that's been produced by body of great work by academia and civil society in india over the past 3 years but to understand what exactly is the state of art and 3 years back when i was not even part of cis then i was working externally when shweta was a part of cis we had done a series of exploratory papers on ai where shweta had taken the lead on mapping what the state is in terms of policy in terms of who is using ai who is doing what across various sectors and it'll be useful to think back to 2017 when we were doing exploratory work and there really wasn't that much research there to now when there is a lot of policy a lot of thinking a lot of excitement a lot of research but i mean how how has this changed and uh, i mean how do we see this policy ecosystem going forward so really a body of work that shweta has produced over the past 3 years that we'll be discussing today uh, shweta thank you so much for uh, taking out time to to be with us and look forward to this discussion thank you so much arindujit for the great introduction i feel like a lot of weight on me to perform with this uh, podcast episode but thank you so much and yes i think it'd be nice to go back to like a trip down memory lane and see how I started my work at CI started with the AI reports and just how incidentally the AI uh, AI task force report came out and the Aayog paper came out how incidentally I started working on AI policy in India yeah yeah great so yeah i'm sure the expectations that have been rightfully created will be met and more so let's let's start off very basic uh, though before we uh, before we go on to some of the more advanced questions that i'll also be picking your brain on but um first of all uh, let's get very basic here i mean even before we get to what the state of play is what is ai right uh, we there are so many definitions of ai uh, being thrown around ai there, there's what what's called ai snake oil where everyone is saying that we are engaging in ai or doing ai but what what do you feel is the most usable or appropriate definition of ai so which we can use when we are or are there multiple definitions that we can use going forward yes definitely i think there's a, a lot of number of definitions of ai and i think every organization every person writing a report on ai has their own definition of what ai is but i think 
something that I try to keep as a definition of AI is something that makes decisions on behalf of or decisions that affect human beings. So something that makes, for example, credit scoring would make decisions that affect human beings, well, something that Google AI or something like a voice assistant make, might make decisions on behalf of the human being. So that's somehow I, how I understand or how I categorize AI, while, while we're, especially while looking at the mapping reports. Yeah, may, may, makes a lot of sense, right? So basically some human decision-making ability is being delegated to artificial intelligence. So that that makes, that I think that make, makes a lot of sense. So Sorry, in the sense of most of the human at the center, so either the humans are the ones making the decision or the ones being affected by the decision of them. Right, AI. right. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that's definitely important from a policy perspective. So then let's get to the first sort of mapping question is what is the state of play in AI? I mean, AI seems to be the talk of the town these days, but you did a thorough mapping of it uh, now three years back, which seems like, I mean, uh, in, in the policy world, almost ancient history. But so first of all, what was the mapping like? And second, if you were to do the mapping again, how would that change? Right. I think the mapping was looking at publicly available information about the government about government organizations in India who are working on or who are what working on AI, but who have initiatives or mention artificial intelligence in any of the initiatives or reports, developers or startups that are working on it, and also practitioner, uh, also companies that are using this AI as a product, and researchers and organizations, including civil society, that are working and discussing on AI. I think most of the research or most of the numbers that I got were definitely from the people who are employing AIs or who are businesses that are using AI and the startups that are working on it. So a definite number of startups have increased. Like while we're looking at it also, a few of startups that were just, I think, unheard of initially and in the mapping they were there and now they're pretty popular. So that is something. But also I think something that is more significant is the government. So the, how the government understands AI and how much of talk the government does on AI mm-hmm. and the number of government reports which are not about AI but have some mention about artificial intelligence. If I was mapping right now, I think the government um, sheet, which was almost empty at, in 2017, 2018, I think would be some more filled up than, than it was when it was in 2017 or 18. So, uh, so for example, uh, the startup that I was thinking of when you were mentioning this is is Staku, which is a Gurgaon-based uh, analytics firm that worked with Delhi Police to, sorry, initially they were working with uh, the Punjab uh, artificial intelligence system that was sort of a facial recognition project that the police were using to track criminals who had come out of jail. So that was an example of a startup that I thought of now they become pretty big because now they're rendering services to uh, similar services to police departments in other states uh, as well. So, but uh, what about the other uh, use cases that you've seen AI really flourish in? Yes. So definitely Stark was a really good example and there are many more that are, that can be added to this. But I think one of the use cases, the most common use cases which have been across sectors and which also I'm seeing is developing even now is the growth of voice bots and chatbots. So even though there are a lot of companies that say that they're using AI, but or they use or businesses that are employing AI, it's mostly voice bots and chatbots that help in say, customer service or helps as conversation agents. So or the sector that mostly uses these conversation agents have been banking and hospitality sectors and it's still, I think it still remains to be the same where they use a lot of voice bots and chatbots for their customer service. And some of the banks actually use physical robots so that they just to draw in the crowds also and also just to make something that's very innovative and fun to see. 
ah fair enough fair enough so but uh, apart from that in uh, so banks you said are clearly using it and but apart from that in uh, what i mean of course there's predictive policing which which we discussed but are there other uh, use cases the government is engaging in so for example we had done a couple of side not the main mapping but we had done a couple of side uh, reports on healthcare and agriculture so what is generally your perception of government uptake of ai in those fields Right, I think agriculture is one of the while, especially while doing the mapping, that realize that agriculture is one where the government is looking at using AI to make it easier for, say, farmers to know their soil type and also to farmers to coordinate with buying and selling. So I think agriculture is definitely something that most of the governments have had stated that they plan to use AI for that. I think in terms of healthcare, also AI, there have been some use cases of AI, but they aren't very rigid. I've not seen. There might be something which were proposed, but I don't see anything happening. Right. Um. Yeah. There have been some smaller ones like to tackle uh, that that eye that eye clinic. Uh, yes, that the eye clinic one. But yeah, but, but they they aren't particularly advanced, right? Exactly. They aren't particularly advanced in the sense that I've not read any updates of these services or these plans that were made by the government for that. But also, I think uh, going back to Stark also going back to predictive policing, there was. not exactly related but there was also this a uh, lot of news articles i read about how they could figure out missing children by the right, use of facial right, recognition right, right. and that is another thing that came out while i was looking at governance use of ai in india by governance there were a lot of reports of the same study or the same incidents of using facial recognition to figure out missing children i see so so you've not so you've not really seen like a like a progression on the use cases at least like you mentioned that i mean the startups may be becoming richer because like they are or becoming bigger because they are uh, undertaking maybe more projects but have you like from 2017 to now have would you say that there is some sort of a linear trajectory that or a logical trajectory that they've gone from okay this is where our uptake of ai was in 2017 and this is where we are in 2020 or is it just left to uh, researchers like yourselves to figure out uh, by undertaking some sort of forensic mapping by digging up newspaper articles on on where exactly the state of ai in because the government releases reports and, and industry bodies releases reports every year talking about ai but have you really been able to use these reports to track the trajectory i think if you look at the reports and track the trajectory i think they also use the same process that we did which is publicly available information <laughs> so it only depends on how much information that is there especially And in terms of the two opaque bodies, like example, startups or, or companies, they are not very opaque in their information that they provide. In the same as with the government, so I think in sometimes when we look at the industry bodies or who they are citing, is the same news articles that I have cited. So I think it's mostly to do with the same knowledge, so like the same <laughs> references that we all have, and we're just going by. So is 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 it that then the government? has some sort of a strategy or has some sort of linear strategy and are not being transparent about it or is it that there is no sort of strategy in terms of where like of course maybe they have, we have an idea of where or how much money we want to put into ai by a certain year but is there actually a strategy on i mean what we want to use ai for forget the policy ecosystem which we will come to but even in terms of the actual technical uptake of ai do we have a logical strategy to say okay this is where we are today this is where we want to be tomorrow or is it just okay this sounds interesting let's do it what what do you think i think it's mostly again what sounds interesting and what goes with uh, what is the flavor of the season of type of type because now i was reading about how like i think drdo was planning to have facial recognition systems for recording attendance So I think they just wake up and they, or they see a lot of things where they were like, oh, we can have 
contactless services because or like not artificial intelligence but technology in general because of covid and it's easier to just have more apps or things like that or contact tracing or things like that so i think when need arises then a need for technology arises then it comes up and then it becomes popular and then again it dies down i think one of the most recent so i was also looking at what are the recent uses of ai in india i think another thing that happens with the government and use of ai in india is it's mostly dependent on state governments so sometimes there's, there's no unified india ai policy maybe like some state government decides to use it say andhra pradesh or karnataka and now i think the most recent one that i found which was around 3 weeks ago it was about how orissa government is using artificial intelligence uh, helping organizations to audit their finances so is the most recent so i think right. it's like uh, like spurts of use of ai around the states or around cities but there is no like unified ai uh, unified i think i would say ai but not technology the ai policy or ai use of ai in india there's no like central or the government saying that okay we're going to use ai for this yeah that, that that's some really uh, interesting insight so that brings me on to my next question which is uh, what is the policy ecosystem around ai and do you think that we need this sort of unifying narrative and you could argue that niti ayog uh, is trying to bring that unifying narrative but i mean as you said it's also quite fractured so i mean yeah so so what do you think should I mean, what is the policy ecosystem for our listeners who may not know and also where should the policy ecosystem go should it become uh, more unified and not be driven by states right so i think while looking at the policy ecosystem in ai and, and the way i have been looking at it it started with the creation of the ai task force in 27 2018 beginning of 2018 and they came out with a report in 20 uh, april 2018 which was a report of the ai task force and right after that mm-hmm. in june came the niti ayog strategy paper on ai and i think uh, while i was looking at these two papers and one of the major things that hit me was how there's no there's an absolute disconnection between the report that came out 3 months ago in april about the ai task force and the same topic of niti ayog paper and there was no reference to the report of the ai task force and sadly even with the government uh, there's not much news about what's happening to the ai task force even though it was created with a lot of flourish and it was like oh we have this ai task force with members of research community and members of startups and members of government official and government officials so uh, and also it's really sad that the ai task force i think the website the last update was the ai task force report and there's been no update or any publication or any news of the task force <laughs> so this is the department of commerce right if i'm not mistaken the ai task force it was the department of commerce and then i think now niti ayog is taking the ai strategy forward with even the new consultation on responsibility the new draft, draft yeah, you know, response yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. that is there but i think more than just looking at the ai or the reports that titled ai but also looking at just the policy other policy documents in different sectors because ai would be used in different sectors so if we look at the national health stack so basically as we look at say the one thing that is needed for ai is data so when we look at the data collection processing policies could also lead to you know understanding how the ai policy is or which direction it is leading so when for example if we look at the national health stack which looks at creating this system of collecting health electronic health data and then helping say uh, companies in the future so i think most likely one of the possible uses of that data i think it would be ai so when i look at that i also see that there are a lot of disjointed policies that can be further used to ai most of the disjointed data policies can be used to further the ai policy but they're not in together so do you think that we need like what would be your like if you were 
I mean, I'm sure that if you were, we'd be much better off. But if you were in Niti Aayog or or in the in the government, um, what would be your sort of strategy in terms of going forward? Would you try and have like one document, one nodal body, or would you continue with this fragmented thing where you're trying to patch together different ministries, different data policies, and basically different issue areas to come up with a coherent AI strategy? To be absolutely candid, I, if it if I was in the in Niti Aayog deciding, I would absolutely wait for the personal data protection bill to come out and then decide an AI policy. But yeah, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, that's a great. But just point. because I always understand that it comes like a. After my research, I went to privacy and like studying about data. But the thing is, data like technology definitely is there, and technology has its problems. But also, the problem has to be with how the data is collected, processed, and what decisions the processing of this data through AI would result in in a country like India. So I think definitely that. But uh, despite that, I think I have to also look at different. It's very difficult for me to write now, say it because I have to look at different sectors because the use of AI. Like especially after the ecosystem mapping and the AI reports that we had done, we had said that the use of the same AI might be different for different sectors, and the implications they have for each sector is based on the harms that they can cause and the sensitivity of the data that is processed. So maybe even a voice bot for a hospital is actually much more dangerous maybe than a voice bot that is just for say entertainment, like for example. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah, is yeah, there. Yeah. But to answer your question, I really don't have a clear-cut answer whether we should have like a central AI policy, but also because a lot of questions are more constitutional because some are state subjects, will are sent subjects by the center. So that's also a question that needs to be seen. So I don't think we can have a, like a centralized AI policy, but really good to have a personal data protection bill. And then have policies that clear-cut mention artificial intelligence was define artificial intelligence and provide for example if it's a funding then what funding how will it be used for and what can they be used for but also imagine if it's about data sharing policies and how these policies are and i think those should be definitely central when it comes to funding and data sharing but for other small questions around ai i think it can depend on the need of the state yeah that's a that's a very interesting response so i mean what i'm getting is that we have a unifying sort of principle narrative that's based on uh, privacy that's based on certain core tenets of data sharing but uh, actually um, i mean when we look at regulating specific use cases obviously we can't have a centralized narrative and that needs to be tailored to the needs of each stakeholder including the needs of each state so yeah that, that i think that makes perfect sense and hopefully uh, i mean hopefully some policymakers are listening to this podcast um the next the next question um, is related to that as well is that we've been hearing a lot about ethical ai and that speaks to that sort of unifying narrative that you were speaking about that we need ai that's ethical and some of these policy instruments that you mentioned also refer to ethical ai so i mean what is ethical ai and how relevant is this because it's sort of the talk of the town right like uh, it's a buzzword you know if you need ai it needs to be ai for social good and needs to be ethical but what exactly is ethical AI and how is it different from like, I don't know, like ethical, uh, ethical writing or, 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 or ethical, uh, ethical sports playing. So could you maybe for our listeners, just uh, explain your understanding of this huge field of ethical AI? Right. I think now when we come to think of it, it's like AI itself is like a very vague term and the casual terms. Another one is ethical AI in terms of the policy discourse. Like everyone just wants the AI to be ethical, but it's very difficult to decide what are these yeah. ethics because they also differ between countries, cultures, and also between person to person. 
So I think it's very difficult to just have like, yes, this AI is ethical and very difficult, <laughs> to, difficult to say that. Uh, but I think in terms of ethical, you can have certain, instead of having, say, an ethical AI and making it the term even more vague to make it easier for companies to just be like, okay, we've reached the minimum threshold, which is ethical AI, which no one understands what it is. So we have something. And so that I think yeah, a certain yeah. defined principle, example, say privacy or understanding of human rights or I don't think security will be principle definitely, but then data security. Uh, so principles such as that, which are laid out, which are like, so we put it, there should be some things which are non-negotiable. For example, say privacy and uh, removing unfairness and having, say, inclusion and accessibility. So things like that, which are already, there, that should be non-negotiable and some things that can be worked around it. So I think ethics and sometimes it can be made into something that's very soft, that can be worked around or that can be, uh, in terms of uh, virtue signaling of sorts, where you can like show, okay, we are being ethical because we are letting you know that your data is being, or we're giving you the option to withdraw your data. Yeah. So, so do you think that then maybe instead of talking about ethical AI, we should change that? And this is something that I uh, personally think could potentially be useful, but could be would be great to get your thoughts on this. So that we change it from ethical AI to uh, constitutional AI, right? Where um, you actually draw or, or, or human rights compliant AI, where you actually mm-hmm. draw on principles yeah. from either public international law or the constitution of countries yeah. to say, okay, these are the, as you said, the minimum core standards that need to be adhered to. So they aren't as uh, aren't as broad as what is ethical, which you said is subjective, but it's actually yeah. trying to uh, put AI use cases and put the AI framework into the constitutional or, or human rights based narrative. Do you think that is more useful and will enable, uh, I mean, companies to be regulated more and to be held more accountable? Yes, exactly. I think once we also look at, I was while we were talking, I was thinking about like how ethical, the whole ethical AI thing is similar to how during the environmental law or the environmental right, impact right, right. thing we talk about green or the sustainability. So it just be like, oh, we are a green <laughs> com- company or something like that. But we're like ignoring, maybe we're wasting, we're saving on electricity, we're saving on carbon footprint, but we're wasting forest land or wasting water. So it's, but then we are a green company. So I think ethical AI seems to be something that is like now. Like we are an ethical AI company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're ethically a company. So the whole greenwashing is on ethics yeah, washing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's so a that definitely is there. Yeah, and of course, the, yeah, the green the green point is also particularly sort of uh, uh, important now because we've seen how, I mean, despite companies posturing themselves as being green, we had the environmental impact assessment and the entire controversy around that in India. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's a great yeah. example. I didn't actually think of it that way. So that way, so unless we have like strict principles about, say, this is... These are the things that they, that need when you're creating an eight artificial, not creating, but developing or deploying an artificial intelligence system. And definitely these um, principles of ethics should be different for different stakeholders So definitely and different uses of AI. So maybe it might not, so it must be a higher threshold when it comes to policing and higher threshold when it comes to healthcare. So, and definitely in governance. So I think there are very few places where it can be like, there's a lower threshold to AI, but definitely there should be like a minimum standard. And I think also when it comes to regulation or example for laws also, I think what we forget is most of the laws actually minimum standards that are there and that's not the limit that you should be. Like you should go about <laughs> what the law says to be. Like the law is just the minimum base compliance that is there. So I think, so ethics should be in addition to law and not as a substitute for law, right? Is, the, is that what you're saying? Yes, it should not be a substitute for law, definitely. We're not for the addition, but definitely not a substitute to law. 
Yeah, I mean, in the sense that you said that, uh, of course, law is the minimum standard and there are things that we should be doing in addition to that. So uh, potentially we could say that AI, like whatever you say as when I'm soft AI, mm-hmm. whatever protocols you're putting in place, that can't be a substitute for uh, you complying with, say, Article 14 of the, which is the right to equality in the Constitution, yeah. right? But uh, yeah. if you want to do more and you want to say, not only comply with what's there in the article, but also go ahead and maybe say take a few decisions yeah. on with regard to accessibility or provide uh, some sort of training program for people to be able to use people who wouldn't normally use your products to use it. I think that is something that'll go above and beyond the law, right? And maybe that's that's how we should be looking at ethical AI, as you said, rather than green. I mean, ethics washing yeah. or I mean, equivalent of green exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Next question related no, on a related note is that most of the ethical AI constructs and I mean, you could argue that even international law for that matter was based uh, having a few countries in, in, in the West in mind, right? So mm-hmm. I guess the question to you is how relevant are these constructs to uh, technology governance or even AI governance in India? I mean, uh, given the, I mean, you've mapped uh, this space fairly extensively, but uh, when we actually come down to juxtaposing that with the socioeconomic state that India is in today, uh, how useful are they? So sometimes when we look at the mapping of the AI ecosystem in India, we sometimes feel that we're missing the hills for the trees. Like we are looking at, or even when you look at the AI reports, there's talk about autonomous cars or we have like robots that will replace nurses. I think we're not seeing that the bare reality in India is that a lot of places need electricity and need like start from there. So we don't know, we don't have the infrastructure ready and here we are like, especially the AI reports speak like of a future that is not so close by, but is extremely impossible. So I think we need to be yeah. on the ground real yeah. to have at least basic infrastructure ready. And although a lot of things, I think a problem that I also see with a uh, lot of startups, a lot of lot of um, reports that have written, AI reports that have written, or a lot of AI reports written by startups or uh, that way is that it's about solutionism. Like, A, there's this problem and AI can solve it. I think we should also look beyond AI solutionism and look at AI as one of the options that are there, but always look at the other options. It's not like the only option that should be there to solve a particular problem. And second, it should not be always about solu- about solving a problem, but also just, it should not be like a, a black and white. And so, okay, this is a problem and here, here AI is a solution. So I think... Yeah, so I think the problem first definitely is AI solutionism, but second is also looking at how it's ve- how the socioeconomic realities in India are very different from other countries, and just putting an AI like a bandaid onto these problems is not going to solve. It's going to make it more difficult, or like technology is not the solution for a lot of the problems that are there. Yeah, so I mean that's that's inherently uh, unethical, right? If you actually, I mean. Sp- put forward AI solutionism as your strategy, whether you're an industry player or a government, but then you're, you are blind to the fact that there are many people who don't have the basic infrastructure to actually access uh, these solutions. Then, I mean, even though you are saying that it's ostensibly uh, great for everyone, you're act- it's act- any solution you are deploying is actually great for anyone who has the infrastructure to access it. So, I mean, wouldn't I mean the way I mean when you were speaking I was just thinking that if we are blind to infrastructural concerns it's not only I mean not the smartest thing to do policy wise but it's also unethical right because you're basically blind to the needs of those who have been traditionally oppressed and are therefore now in the vulnerable uh, socioeconomic groups right 
Yes, exactly. And also, I think it. Uh, I think the AI reports definitely we need to move with the race. We can't be like behind. And there is, I know, definitely there is a need to posture ourselves to be a, a country that understands AI and that is thinking about AI and is funding AI. But also, there's a lot of things that need to be looked into and understood while having, say, policy measures for AI and looking at AI as also when, especially when you're using hashtags or using. Uh, parts in a report that speak about AI for social good and AI for all, but you also really need to know that what all consists of. Right? It just can't be all people in Bangalore or all people in Mumbai, but it has to be, then also it doesn't still contain contain all. So yeah, so when you think about AI for all, it should be, you should understand that it it is never going to be AI for all in the way the situation is right now. Not only in India, but definitely around yeah, the world. Yeah, itself. yeah, I mean, uh, like, w- would you say that there is so we've heard a lot about uh, discrimination by ai and you yourself spoke about fairness just now uh, how that's a core principle do you think there's enough empirical research out there in india to say that you know these are the kinds of bad things that could happen if we were to deploy ai in a certain case so i mean let's be clear even uh, countries that have been doing ai for or what, not doing AI, whatever, using AI for a long time, uh, have got it wrong, right? With like with the UK controversy that I was speaking about at the beginning of this episode. But if you were to deploy a similar algorithm in the education sector in India, um, do we do we even are we even in a position to know what kind of bad things may happen, or if algorithms are being used to uh, carry forward predictive policing in India? Do we do we even, even have enough socioeconomic data to actually say, okay, these are the kinds of harms that might happen? And uh, I mean, if we don't, then what are the kinds of research that we should be doing before we get into the actual uh, cool business of uh, writing up AI reports? Yes, definitely we need to. I think something that has that I've heard through the AI roundtables or the events that I've attended on artificial intelligence, how in India it's not as homogeneous. There are a lot of mixture of languages, different types of people, and it's not as homogeneous as maybe the other countries are by using AI. So there are a lot of variables that need to be added with regard to India. But I think something that's more worrying, and I'm going back to again to the PDP bill and so to legislation in general is that we won't know maybe when that these things are already being deployed and we and with them without knowing the mistakes and understanding that there are problems in India and then we won't know that we're actually being subjected to that much later when the harms come out so I think that is another yeah. so and, and we won't have a recourse to fight back or to say that okay we don't want this to happen so I think more worrying is uh, yes, that these technologies exist, and I think the the more worrying with, with regard to India is that what if these technologies are used without a uh, without a consent and without looking at the harms or without doing extensive research, figuring out what the potential harms can be of just blindly using a technology in India. So I think yeah, definitely yeah, the research yeah, definitely. is needed, but I think it's more worried that like, it's going to take a long, long time to do the research, and by the time hopefully the government doesn't decide to use it without looking at the research first and all the harms that can do, doing an impact assessment of if you say like that but all the harms that it can cause yeah yeah that makes so much so much sense um so the next question then is that when we actually look at and the, i suppose the final sort of question for this episode is that when we look at these harms or we're trying to study study the impact of ai or the potential impact of ai do you think that there is a bridge or, or a gap between the technology community and the policy slash digital humanities community that both of us are part of. Uh, do, do you think there is a gap uh, in terms of how the tech community and and uh, 
those of us on the policy side are thinking and if there is a gap how can we bridge that because ideally the government should be listening to both the techies and the the lawyers or the or the, or the gender experts or the sociologists uh, but uh, i mean do you think there is a gap and how can we bridge that gap so definitely there is a gap i think it starts from uh, from schooling because you if you have like different like the law and technology law and engineering colleges and you have different colleges and then you just go to different line of work but uh, i think the gap also when we're looking at meetings and round tables that we are a part of where people from technology and from civil society come together it's definitely the way that they look at the technology and definitely i think what uh, again the solutionism part where they look at this as a problem and this that needs to be solved which while in our research and our field we don't look at things as problems and that solutions so definitely the way we look at a problem as an issue is very different from how companies look at it but also definitely in terms of the end result right for us it's very diff- different from say a company that wants to sell their ai product and get money out of it and the stakeholders that they have applied, that they are looking for and the stakes that they have are very different from what we have so in general reality definitely we have different stakes that we uh, we have in general we have very different uh, ideas of where our research is going and especially idea where the products are going <laughs> so there's definitely a divergence that way because our, our means and ends are very different yeah so yeah, it's yeah. not for us definitely it's not profit for them definitely it's it's i think it's very naive to think that if they're not thinking about profit so definitely for them it's really looking at profit and also to increase their chances of getting funding and things like that so definitely there is that but at least there should be a way to work together and also to just to make them understand that it it should not be like this or that it should not be so there should be some way to figure out how to talk together and decide how to make things more viable in terms of not just the economics part of it but also make it more ethical <laughs> because of a lack of a better word but more um more human centered if i could yes, say so more yes, looking at more this yes, more, more the consumer and just looking at a profit center and these are not a lot of huge expenses just like simple like just having a privacy policy that is got paragraphs in it <laughs> like it's not a yes. huge expense but i think that would really help the user if you have like a privacy policy with bigger words or maybe some images or just basic paragraphs and not um, privacy policy is extremely difficult to read with small fonts so like these small things that are that aren't hugely economical cost but they can really help the consumer at the end of the day yeah uh, that 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 makes a lot of, but, but do you think that we do you think that we talk enough so we of course i mean we have we whenever we yeah. try to unpack a policy we of course look at the constitution or we look at mm-hmm. some we do some uh, digital right. humanities reading do you think that we talk to people in the industry enough to actually get a sense of where they are coming from and and do you think that they uh listen to us uh listen to us enough i think we do talk and they do listen but it's very few instances and maybe also it depends on because it's very difficult to have say all the companies listen to us so maybe we have few people who we speak to who we interact with but they don't obviously pass on their knowledge to the other people which is which is very different from say the research committee traditional humanities committee where we pass on our research where it's just like we share it exactly so that's another thing that does happen but i think definitely there should be more conversations and more i think it's just about having a more diverse set of people working in those companies to know that okay these are small things that can be done to make the product ai product more um, so i think we more think about the consumer a bit more i think about not the consumer as a consumer but consumer as a person as an individual and not as someone that you're going to target yeah yeah 
very important very important point um, so then if and this is i guess the last question and this is more of i mean a food for thought kind of question that i this morning again back to the uk example that i was talking about um lynette taylor who's of course one of the world leading authorities on on ai and and algorithmic decision making specifically said that uh, that uk example the fact that the department of education there was forced to withdraw uh, this use of algorithms shows how uh, public resistance to technology can sometimes be successful we had a similar case in india with the arogya setu app that was initially mandatory and then it turned out to be like at least formally on paper it was retracted and not made mandatory so where do you really see the future of i mean both civil society and academia uh in india engaging in this sort of public resistance to ai so the first part of this question was i mean are we talking to each other enough and and clearly you outlined ways in which we could do better on that but my second part of my question is if we don't get what we want through talking to them is there enough of are we unified enough as a civil society community or as a, a community of digital humanities researchers to actually raise an outcry against potentially uh, non human centric uses of technology and, and ai i would like to think that we would be able to because of the few examples that we have seen but again it depends on how the outreach works and uh, who we are actually talking to so it can't just be the few the social media savvy or internet savvy people <laughs> it has to be everybody so it it has to be through not just say tech policy organization but also other organizations and i mean that that's i think that's you speak to a very important point that i've also thought about is that we generally speak our conversations are usually with organizations in the tech policy space not so much with organizations in the agriculture space who may be thinking about ai right so so i think that is the point that you are making is actually very very uh, very very important and very very salient right that if we are to look at how our technology is governed then civil society or our world of civil society can't only be our colleagues our great colleagues of course in the tech policy space but they need to extend to uh, other similarly placed organizations in agriculture or in in healthcare who are exactly. sort of not tech uh, organizations but who work on health policy in other ways right uh so definitely i think uh, while we look at organizations or look at tech policy organizations and we think that okay the amount of research that we do and the research that we are disseminating it's it's again stuck into the same group of people or at least like okay we are disseminating online so again it goes to the online and goes to the same group of people i think we need to look at organizations that are working on particular sectors so as i stated in terms of agriculture or healthcare to not just look at the tech policy of healthcare the technology around agriculture but also look at people who will be directly affected by it and have organizations that speak to those people and then like let those people also know because it's very easy to look at say an app or look at a website and say oh they're going to sell because they sell ai really well and they sell very technology really well and it's very difficult for people to understand that what the effects of this technology can be yeah on that wish that both of us have in terms of collaboration between technology policy organizations and other civil society groups it's a good i think hopeful note to end this conversation on i was expecting a lot of deep insights but i think i got much more than what i expected a lot i mean number of things that shweta mentioned in terms of uh, just how to look at this question of ethics washing and green washing how to uh, reconceptualize the way we interact with the tech community or what the gaps therein are how we should look at this fragmented policy making around ai and to what extent fragmentation is actually useful i think lot of uh, takeaways 
uh, from this conversation and and while we didn't go into the weeds i think there is a lot of uh, great in-depth research that shweta has also undertaken that will be linked of course below this podcast episode and i urge anyone who listened uh, this far to also read some of the more detailed work that uh, detailed body of work it's not just one or two reports but a work over 3 years that she has produced so thank you once again shweta for this great uh, episode thank you so much and yes thank you for the great questions and it's really nice to to like revise the work that i have done and think about it yeah yeah and and hopefully many many more years of similar work to come so on that note uh, thanks to all our listeners who stayed till the end and were with us we hope to uh, catch you soon again in episode 10 uh, and wrapping up towards the end of this season of the influx podcast um stay safe and uh, keep in touch and do do send us any questions you can just uh, direct message the cis account on, on twitter or or send uh, me an email uh or shweta an email so so thanks a lot and i will bid everyone goodbye this episode was produced by the folks at the center for internet and society intro music fish attack by alpha hydrate outro music palette de will by quickweed